0: Vintage Stories is sponsored by Calrie Wine, calrywine.com, Australia and New Zealand. Wine making innovation. They also do some brewery products, and uh, I'm sure they can help you any way you need to in your cellar uh, or your brewery. Uh, the big chatter right now is with their uh, smart analysis machine, uh, which they're just launched. Can do yann, malic acid, tartaric acid, glucose, fructose, alcohol, color, free sulfur, total sulfur, pH, TA, and more. Lots of these reagents. You can pick and choose what you want to pay for, and it is way more affordable than having some big giant lab. Uh, and probably can do more than certainly a lot of the labs that I worked in that were just basic winery labs. So check that out, caloriewine.com. Hit them up. The local agent, probably Dean Wishart or one of his buddies will come and check you out. They also can help out with all kinds of other issues, trials. They're really on the cutting edge of technology and uh, and they're winemakers themselves, so they really know what you need. I get a lot of yeast from them. Probably the biggest plug that I can say is with my Viognier's which now I didn't make any in 17 but in 16 and 18 I made Viognier's and I used their uh, Alba Fria white yeast that I love very much and that won a trophy in 16 and 18 just took out the top specialty white in Cuisine Magazine so uh, proof is in the pudding guys check them out Wine making innovation we're also sponsored of course by Decimal Wines Hopefully by the time you are getting this, the Testify Chardonnay will go on out. We're working on a whole new website for that as well. And uh, yeah, we think that'll be launched soon. But either way, it'll be up through Decimalwines.com. Contact us directly if you want to try to get some of that Junta Malbec Nouveau. That's a real tough one to get. But of course, we have all five Decimal Wines up there. Uh, recently, some great scores and reviews. Bob Campbell just gave the 17 Pinot uh, 94 points, which I'm ecstatic about considering that really tough, tough vintage we had in 17. And that's a credit to Martinborough Fruit. So, anyway, use the uh, DB podcast as your promo code. And yeah, let's uh, start the show. <laughs> Welcome back to Vintage Stories. We're here on a warm winter day. It's starting to feel like spring here in Hawke's Bay. And if you hear a little rattling in the background, that is the, literally the winds of spring blowing in and rattling our fireplace here in the Decibel slash Vintage Stories office slash studio. So yeah, it's starting to feel like spring. Uh, I have a trip coming up to the U.S., where we have some events one couple notable things to mention would be that we have a media and press event on tuesday september 10th Uh, contact us if you're interested in coming to that Uh, that is filling up quick that's going to be at decibel studios in new york which is uh the irony is not lost on that one i'm not even sure that's ironic it just is and uh a wine dinner at Bistro Romano in Philadelphia on Friday the 12th of September and a wine dinner on Friday the 13th. So it's Thursday the 12th, Friday the 13th in Stone Harbor, New Jersey at Kitchen 330, which looks like it's going to be great. I'd love to get down to that part of New Jersey right on the beach. We've also got the Hershey Wine Festival. We'll be in Hershey, Pennsylvania the previous weekend, so a weekend of sort of 6, 7, 8. And hope to see some great people of Pennsylvania there. Today we're talking with Anna Flowerday. I mentioned a while back that we start with a journalist and end with a journalist. But Anna is not the last of these set of interviews, second to last. And she could not be more in the trenches. Uh, Outside of being a very busy mother and uh, a big rugby fan, which I mentioned in the interview. uh, All I really knew about Anna was I saw her speak at the pinot 17 conference and i found her engaging really interesting and then she really got on my radar with her wines her and her husband jason their wines and and since then i've been a, an admirer of of hers and their winery and i uh, wanted to know more about her story so i just asked her during the conference if she'd come and have a chat and she did and i thank her because it was a great chat i learned a lot and uh yeah she's one of the well, pioneers and somebody who is really doing it with organic wine growing, and not only that, making some phenomenal wines, uh, world-class wines, so here's my chat with Anna. The essence. So, sit down. Yep. No worries. Yep. Uh, just kind of yeah. Talk pretty close to the microphone okay. will be helpful. Um, I think I'll be doing some edits for some of these other people I've interviewed. But first of all, thank you for doing this. And uh, not getting too worried that I was stalking you for a bit there. to <laughs> <laughs> nah, you weren't. No only, you weren't the only person I was stalking. Okay. So oh, that's good. That I don't feel a
1: special now though. That's. That, you know. Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, yeah So. Uh, I saw you speak a couple years ago at Pinot 17. Definitely was on my radar somebody I thought would be interesting to speak to and hear more about. Um, uh, and also, I follow you on Twitter, and not only do I see, you know, your updates about your winery and stuff, I do see... Uh, rugby rugby
1: rant that's the main reason i think i'm on twitter really i i forget to use it for anything else it's only normally when rugby comes it just seems like the perfect outlet for kind of just like
0: and it's it's really funny because i have to admit i have no idea what you're talking about usually and i'm just like (laughs) to see one world one person's world i could be i don't know if i was back in philly you know getting upset about philadelphia sports or something which is very easy to do um so anyway, uh, what's going on? You're, you're uh, Yeah,
1: ticking along pretty well. I mean, obviously, vintage 19, you know, is in the bag or in the shed, as we like to call it. I always, uh, I think my kids, my kids' joke is that they call the winery the bank because, you know, like, at least once it's in the winery, it's kind of halfway it's, to the bank.
0: Yeah, it's in the bank.
1: Um, but yeah, we've had an amazing harvest, which I think, you know, we were sort of looking forward to because, you know, 17 and 18 um had some challenges, so nineteen was you know a nice one that kind of restores your faith in that there is this was a good life choice. Yes. Um, so yeah, amazing summer. Pretty low crops will be a bit of a challenge, I think, for most of us in that you know got twenty or thirty percent less wine than you usually have. But um, outstanding Pinot, particularly. I think some of the best. Well, in fifteen years of being here for me, some of the best Pinot I've seen. Um, with the you know because we work with our own site plus um, two other organic vineyards. And yeah, I think it just it was just it was one of those years when everything kind of, you know, the stars aligned. We had a great team, we and everything went well. It was just yeah, and, and then there's some cracker wines as well is all you can hope that's for. That's great. So
0: mm-hmm. rewind a sec fifteen years you came from Australia?
1: Yeah, so I'm from McLaren vale, mm-hmm. um, in South Australia, and Jace is from here. So that's kind ah, of how okay. we ended up back here. It was kind of the the trans Tasman tussle of we met working in Australia
0: mm.
1: um and he'd spent five or six years over there with me. And um, I think it was a lot of things. I think we'd sort of done our time. We're both, you know, working as well makers for other people. We had our own little vineyard. Um, so we'd met working in the Vale and then we, I got a job offer to move to Claire. Um, and so he came with me and uh, we bought our own little block there. And um, that was actually where we first got into BD. Mm. Uh, we started, Jason went to a, um, biodynamic conference in Australia in like 99, maybe 2000. And, um, sort of, we, you know, we'd always heard about it. You'd read about it. I think the th- first time we went to one and then you sort of meet some of these, you know, um, the sort of original pioneers of the movement over there. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. And then because we had this little block in Clare, we started farming it that way and it was dry grown and old, old vine and Watervale, And, um, but, yeah, the, really the drive was for us was to do our own thing. And yeah. it was like, okay, well, do we go back to McLaren Vale where my family is or do we, um, you know, have a look at an opportunity over here? And then we were sort of in that phase a little bit and Hardys, who I was working for, you know, things were changing quite a lot there. Constellation and bought the company and I was like yes yeah, it's really not the same kind <laughs> yeah. of vibe anymore I think yeah. I'm gonna go um and then yeah we just heard Tefari Ra was for sale Jason's mum rang us up and said oh we heard Tefari Raw was for sale oh, I didn't
0: realize it was a brand before yeah that. it was yeah. a brand before so it's oh, okay. actually
1: the it's actually the second oldest winery in Marlborough oh cool it was first planted the vineyards first planted in 79 and we've still got those now so they're actually oh, as far as I've those? been able to
0: what uh there's there?
1: Gewurz, Riesling and Chardonnay cool. planted in 79 and then a lot of the rest of the block was kind of like early 80s um, yeah. and then there was a bit of a uh, they planted another sort of block of the property in like late 90s um so yeah we looked at it and went what's well, an old vineyard. it's a weird mix of varieties yeah, you yeah. know this it's, should a, be fun. it's a wine <laughs> with a moldy name you know there's all these other people thinking that's dumb why would you do that you yeah. know there was no Sauvignon Blanc planted on the property But I guess we just went, well, this is kind of what we want to do. We want to do something a bit different. Marlborough's Jason's family, you know, his family here and they're in the industry here and I'd spent enough time here to know it was a pretty cool part of the world. And I think we just saw, you know, especially having been in Australia and seen what happened with Australian Shiraz, you know, coming back here, I was like, guys, the writing's on the wall. I know what happens if you plant too much of something too fast and haven't thought it through and but yeah, we just saw an opportunity that there wasn't a lot of a lot of Mulberry was in a big growth phase and that was all about volume and getting bigger and we, we thought there was an opportunity to do something more small high end here. Um, yep. and it was, you know, Tefari Ra was pretty affordable because it was a bit run down and it had weird varieties, so we thought well, it meant we could afford it and mm. I guess we thought it was all stuff we knew how to you knew how to do to kind of fix it back up again.
0: Yeah, and then reality hit set.
1: And then we had two sets of twins. <laughs>
0: Know that. That's I know you bigger have- than a GFC <laughs> or anything else, believe
1: you me. Uh, yeah, so in the first five years of owning it, we had two sets of twins, so... Um
0: that was the other reason why I was like, "Let's do this at lunch break," because I have a feeling after this you might be running somewhere. Yeah, to do I am. Something. I get
1: back on kid duty, uh, yeah. so that's my other full-time job. Or for, it's a full-time job for both of us. Is, is juggling that, but it's made me made us very good at multitasking. You know, I bet. you kind of. Um, I felt a bit like that yesterday doing the MC thing. like making sure everyone gets where they need to be on time. That they've got yeah. what they need. That they uh, come on, hurry up! You've yeah. got to be there. You know, <laughs> we need to get get ready. We need to get up now. Um, so yeah, that's been uh amazing. Yeah, amazing privilege at the same time I would never, you know, take it for granted or complain about having four kids, but it's been a bit of a wild and crazy ride. And definitely yeah, added a whole other dimension to like, let's buy this old winery and put all this work into kind of bring it back to life. Um yeah, that was a bit of a curlery. And what one. was
0: the winery sort of condition? Um,
1: or? Not, well, the winery building, fine. The, the inside was awful. Yeah. So again, yeah. that was a lot, you know, we had to spend a lot of money and probably more than we ever realised. You know, the, when I think about how in debt we are, it's quite a big number. Mm. Um, but thankfully we did, you know, the bank, we just found a bank manager that, got us and Mm. kind of, and I know he's had to probably back us internally sometimes as well because it was a very different model than what a lot of Marlborough was doing and probably 99 of his other percent of his customers. But um, yes, we had to spend a lot, we sort of, the first year we got here, we took over, we sort of moved back over in September um, and so my father-in-law had pruned the vineyard for us and then... You know, we started with all the, you know, spring work and things like that. And then we basically both walked into the winery and went, Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah, yeah. This
1: is a shithole. We <laughs> yeah. can't make wine in here. So the first year we actually made our whites at a mates winery and just made the Pinot there. And then we sort of spent the next two years as we could afford it upgrading Kettin stuff and you know, new refrigeration and system. Yeah proper lighting it didn't even have catwalks like it was an osh I don't even know how to actually lasted that long in that kind of condition they'd obviously just been like oh you don't need to go in that room don't go look in there if there ever was a labour inspector or an osh inspector there but yeah and we just we again we went the outside of the building is what it is we're not you know because it was spending our own money it's like well let's just invest in stuff that actually matters for the quality of the wines we want to make like three sorting tables and two little presses and all that kind of gizzo rather than doing anything to the outside or fixing anything up or, you know, minimal's been spent on... Gives
0: a character, though.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. And, it's you know, it's, it's hand-built. They, you know, the, we've got these mud bricks on the outside of the winery that they made from off the property. So, you know, it is pretty rustic looking. It looks just like a kind of wooden shed with a bit of mud brick. But, yep. yeah, it doesn't need to be flesh. It's, I'm always a bit suspicious if someone's winery looks too impressive. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like,
1: right, what else are you trying to hide? That's yeah, a very, yeah. you know, architecturally designed masterpiece. It's like, what's, yeah.
0: Yeah, we saw a few of those on the slideshows today. Yeah, I man. I was a bit jealous. Um, and uh, you always seem to have, uh, I don't know, a good strike rate, a good involvement with... Uh, uh, the public, I guess, or the or the growers and the greater wine community. Yeah, and I think all that. we've tried
1: to put put back. Like, yeah. I, I, that's a bit of a family thing for me. My family have always been involved in the greater industry and done things. And like, my dad was on the soil board at home and the, mm. you know, local council and a volunteer firefighter. And you know, I just feel like if it's your industry, yeah. You also, I think, a lot of people. You know, quite often whinge about things that they don't like or but actually don't get informed about it. So, I agree, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, why aren't they spending money on this or blah blah blah? And actually, you know, so that I was on the wine grows, the mobile wine grows board for about eight years after we got here mm. because I felt like I wanted to understand the industry here and that was a way of putting in a bit of time as well. Um, and it did, it made me really understand, you know, what levy money is allowed to get spent on, what it isn't, what constraints, you know, mobile wine growers have, what constraints New Zealand wine growers have. But I guess I'm also really bad at saying no.
0: Yeah. but <laughs> I'm I, I, a yes
1: person. So if someone says, Anna, would you like to help with this? I'm going say, oh, yeah, yeah I'd sure. love to. And then I, you know, drag myself inside out sometimes doing it. So I'm I'm trying to reconcile that a little bit by not saying, you know. I re- think
0: you've done your t- your time, certainly, yeah. and put it in. Yeah. I, and I can feel that all the way up in Hawke's Bay. You yeah. Know? But you're right, it is amazing how people will whinge on and go, Well just go and get involved you know and Or
1: don't have anything. It's like have you even read anything? Have yeah. you talked to anyone rather than just sit here and be a negative Nelly yeah. all the time of like they should do this as whenever you put your time in. You mm. know, I feel like I have now. So yeah. I'm allowed to ring up sometimes <laughs> and say, Guys, you should be doing this or but I feel like I'm allowed to because I I am informed and I fully understand and I'm not ringing up unprepared if I'm ringing up, asking for something or having an opinion about something. So I like having opinions about things. I was going to
0: say, I wouldn't. F- I don't know if I'd want to be on the other end of that phone <laughs> call.
1: <laughs> I'm not like the smiling assassin. i got to start off nice. And, oh, nice yeah. in like Right, so anyway, what I need to talk to you about is boom. So, yeah.
0: And um, so going back to the wines, where or all the wines? Cause I, I f- actually first discovered the wines in San Francisco, believe ah. it or not. Uh, years ago cool. uh, when I was doing Harvest in Napa I think I came across some yeah and uh, these, you know, because I was sort of made it my mission to know like every one, particularly smaller labels that yes. were that were in America, because yep. they, you know, like it's not necessarily competition, but it's kind of like what's working and what, what are people responding to and yeah. everything. Yep. So, um, where so else are the wines?
1: We sell in ten different countries internationally. So obviously, New Zealand is a big market for us, just given the history of the property and um, yep. pretty good solid distribution here. So um, the UK, actually, in the last. 18 months has become our number one outside of New Zealand, um, and we're with a big specialist um, organic importer there called Le Carve. Uh, mostly nearly everywhere we sell, we're very on-premise focused, so it's 80 or 90% on-premise, 20 you know, 10 to 20% fine wine or sort of independent retail. So we sell in Australia, the UK, the States, only in California, um, where we're direct imported by K&L, yep. where you probably saw them. Um, we sell in Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Canada... Japan, Singapore, uh, the Maldives, and then um, Taiwan now as well. So,
0: yeah. Well, going back to the US, but you could certainly touch on some other countries if you want. Where do you see as far as, because you guys are Biogrow certified? We are Biogrow certified. So, how does that fall through? I mean, this is a general question just from even me. Mm to other markets, but maybe we start with the U.S., a market that kind of Yeah, so understand. we
1: we are um, part of the export program for BioGrow, so um, we, but in general, we follow the EU standard because it's um, the sort of, not not most mainstream, that sounds wrong, because it's accepted in the most countries. Yeah. So, and, and that one applies if we make, you know, organic wine for the EU rules, we can sell it in New Zealand and Australia and a lot of the un, other unregulated markets, like in Asia and whatever. The rules in the States are slightly different. Yes. Guys like making things
0: complicated, yeah, and weird. actually,
1: it's a bit of a bugbear for me because we so we could technically sell as wine made with organic grapes yep. in the states, we couldn't sell as organic wine because we are using sulfites. Yep. But then also, um, it's partly the the sulfites is an issue in general. So we use PMS because it's safer for the staff to use. It's easier to measure out. Yeah, no, want to use gas or something. Yeah, who right. goes back? I mean, sulfatometers We stopped using them when I was in Australia, because they were dangerous across all our sites, sure. so a company the size of Hardee's was like, mm, you know, we had people making mistakes with additions, it's obviously full PPE when you're doing it. So um, yes, yeah, so it's a bit of a mind, not actually a minefield, by grow are amazing and I can't sing their praises highly enough, like they've helped, I think, and helped so much of us so much. There's such a depth of knowledge within the wine team there that they actually make it very straightforward and especially now it's all online. So basically every year, if we want to use anything new, Um, You sort of need to plan ahead for the season, but we'd be, you know, going to them and saying, oh, look, this is what we think we want to use, and they have a look through it and go, okay, well, yes, you could use that for blah, 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 blah markets, and, you know, because we're not a big company, we're not making multiple blends, we want to make one thing of that, and that's got to fit for multi-market um, and then, yeah, labels is the other.
0: Well, yeah, that same was kind of challenge, but that's the, a challenge
1: generally, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, you kind of have to redo <laughs> labels. Yeah, anyway, so we but. use
1: one label for New Zealand and Australia. Um, we um, some of our EU markets, we just have to put the importer's name and the sulfites in their language. So we just do that with a strip label. We're not. We don't label. We decided not to label organic for the US. Yeah, well,
0: that, that's kind of where do, my next question is: Is do you think that? Um, Maybe this will affect other markets. That if we did a national standard for organics, that we could go to the U.S. and say, "Listen, this is what we call organic, like, totally. like other countries yeah. do." because because
1: we don't have that right now, we are t- where you know it's like being a price taker. We have to take theirs because they're like, "Well, you don't have your own regulations, so you we have to impose ours on you." Even though for every other reason, you know, as long as we made it to the New Zealand standard for food safety and whatever that ticks the box, everywhere else. But yeah, the organics is a big. Um, has been a bit of a stumbling block. So it's great to see that that's happening and hopefully will make a lot of those things easier.
0: Well, and more transparent (laughs) because I can tell you right now, um, you know, I'm working with different growers and I've transitioned. Some of the wines are in transition. Some of them are about to be certified organic. But I've walked into a wine shop in like New York, or sorry, probably a wine bar in New York and my wine, you know, which was you know, sustainably certified yeah. or whatever, was on an organic wine list and I was like, actually that rose is not organic. No. And uh and that one's not even one of the ones in transition.
1: No, and it is complicated. So for us basically now we have the thing we changed a little bit was with our labeling. So everything off the home block now has a single vineyard designate on it. And we actually use our by grow number as almost like a postcode for the vineyard. So that's mm. the five one eight two that's on our front label is our biogrow number. So we label all the single vineyard stuff. which oh, that's is, a good idea. Yeah, all of our aromatics. We make a home block Pinot and a um, Sauvignon. There's a Syrah and a Chardonnay. So all of those are fully certified. And then for our main Sauvignon Blanc and our main blend of Pinot, they have been a combination of us and a grower. Um, and the Pinot from the 2017 vintage on is organic as well. So basically we're down to one wine that's not yep. all fully certified. But it's been really challenging here to find good quality organic Sauvignon Blanc that we don't grow ourselves. Mm. We've got a great quality grower um, in the Awa for, for Sauvignon who we've worked with for a long time and it's he runs a very soft version of the Swins program and then the, we make the wine organically. So it's mm. you know. Um, but yeah, that's been a challenge of explaining it and I the same happens often. People have used the wrong label. You know, I'll see it written up somewhere and they've put the normal say Sauvignon Blanc and they should have used a single vineyard wine and I feel bad because nothing shits me more than people misrepresenting themselves. And yeah. so I hate it when we've done it, even by default or because yep. your distributor didn't communicate it properly. So I think that's a challenge for us moving forward is we've really got to find um, or talk to the grower or see if we can convince him to convert part of the property to organic because then I, that's the one thing for me that I – but I think we we always really set out for Tefori Ra. It was actually a quality vision and we've got there by being organic. So I, I sort of always wanted the wines to stack up Quality first, and the fact that they're organic is a bonus. But I'm, yeah, I'm really cautious about having that. And the the thing that was really, you know, and actually, when the whole natty wine thing came in, you know, yeah. you'd be like, oh, this is a natural wine. And be like, well, what kind of vineyard does it come off? of? have yeah. like, that question yesterday. And be like, oh, no, it's off a conventional vineyard. I'm like, well, that's not it's not a fucking natural yeah, wine. Yeah, exactly. It's a wine you didn't do anything to. You can probably yeah. call it that. It's not a natural wine if it was grown on a chemically farmed vineyard. Yeah. So I, I think it's a lot of grey. And, yeah, you know, I think again, if there's a domestic standard, that's going to be a lot easier because it's just going to be like, well, this is this and or ingredients labeling you know
0: yeah well that'll probably i think that'll be down the track a yeah. little bit and i guarantee there'll be some pushback on that but uh if we can get at least for us uh a national standard yeah then, and uh it sounds like biogrow will help uh, you know assist in that as yeah. well yeah then we'll be uh we'll be off and running yeah well um yeah so, is your rugby team doing all right, or?
1: Well, <laughs> hey, you know, it's not too bad. My it's not too bad. My Brumbies are still in there, so um, and it's hard. I get very torn because I like, unlike most Kiwis, I do support the All Blacks as long as they're not playing Australia. <laughs> Whereas a lot of Kiwis obviously will support the All Blacks and whoever's playing against Australia.
0: But yeah, um, yeah, And yeah. especially my kids half the time too. So, wait a minute. do you root for an Australian team, or do you root well, for like a if
1: it's uh, if it's in Super Fifteen? Yeah, that's what I'm. <clears throat> yeah, I support the Crusaders as a as my. New Zealand team. And then I, the Brumbies was the first rugby team because I didn't really know what Rugby Union was until I met Jason
0: because
1: I grew up in an AFL state. I was like, what is that weird thing? I know we have this team called the Wallabies. I don't really understand that game. I'd never watched a game. I didn't. But now I think I just grew up with a sports mad loving family. Like my uncle was a really good AFL player. He was in the All-Australian team. So, you know, sport is a half a religion in my family. So I was like, if I'm going to be watching a lot of rugby... I need to understand what this game's about, and I have discovered a huge, yeah, a huge passion for it. Hence, all the <laughs> Twitter rants about stuff, and um, and then yeah, I'll always support the All Blacks if they weren't, if it wasn't a you know All Blacks Wallabies game, but if it's yeah, if it's a Bledisloe sure, game, hey, hey I still have my passport. My heart is green excess, and gold. So
0: you're gonna say your heart's gonna tug you in that direction. Yeah. Well, um, I think. You know, maybe a year or two from now, we could probably sit down with you and Jace and yeah. do a longer version of this. But That'd uh, be cool. we'll get you back up to the conference. Yeah. And thanks for doing this. No
1: worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cool.
0: Well, thank you, Anna. Sets of twins. Well, you sort of get that feeling when you hang out with Anna that she is onto it. And like I said in the introduction, uh, some days I feel like, man, I just can't get I'm working and doing stuff, working nights, traveling, selling, making wine, running around. I don't ever get ahead, then I think, I got one kid. <laughs> this is somebody with two sets of twins. I mean, it must just be a madhouse. I grew up in a, a big a house full of kids, and uh. Man, it's just a different world. It's a different type of insanity. Uh, I think An- Anna handles it really well. I love to talk to Jason at some stage. Can't wait to meet him. I haven't met him yet, but we will. I also really liked what she said and what our, we were discussing about involvement. You know, you can't just sit around and complain and oh, uh, what is this and and uh, why does I have to pay for this and these guys? This board doesn't do anything and they, go read about it, find out, ask questions. And that sort of translates into, you know, I've talked to people. Oh, I don't want to do the conversion. There's too much paperwork into organics. And it's like, well, okay, really? Do you know, have you looked really into it? Have you looked at the benefit, the cost versus the benefits of it? And anyway, I, you know, that stuff we were talking about with the national standards. I think that'll push a lot of people over the edge when you can export to anywhere and people in our biggest market now, like America, uh, but also in places like the UK will start to really understand at the consumer level that, you know, what the difference between what is an organic wine and what isn't. And the younger generation, you know, the people that are into the natural wines and all that is one thing, but everybody is really into... You know, there's people in America that think every New Zealand wine is organic. They have no idea. So when that separation happens, I hope you're uh, working towards your certification. And I think it'll happen in New Zealand, too. It's taken a little slower than it has in, say, food and grocery and things like that. But uh, it is happening. So I thought I'd go back and read something from Grasp the Nettle again, the book by the great Peter Proctor. Uh, since that is basically our last interview with a wine grower at that uh, growing conference, and also because my next conversation with Mermaid Mary is a bit longer, so I might not have as long a time at the uh, outro to do this, but I thought I'd just read this. The the little title of this section is called It Can Be Done. It's sort of towards the end of the book in the little wrap-up of why biodynamic agriculture, but it says... It is possible to grow sufficient food for the world without poisoning our planet. We do not need to use a whole array of chemicals and synthetic materials. The use of hybridized or genetically engineered seeds is totally unnatural and unnecessary, says C. Chapter 10. Well, they talk about that a lot in the book. Biodynamic technology, which I'm sure you guys don't think of it that way. You think of it as, look, putting your, you know, those who don't know about it may think, oh, this is something to do with this stars and the moon and the, and you know strange sprays and cow horns but I love that term biodynamic technology I, I think I harped on that a few times during this series of podcasts where we look at the modernization of biodynamics the modernization of Steiner education and bringing it up to speed with all these tools we have now to help make this thing happen but anyway biodynamic technology with its Informed use of various preparations will maintain soil fertility for years to come in a wholly natural way. It will support the growing of a plentiful supply of nourishing food. In India, it has been shown that soya beans grown using biodynamic methods produce 30% more crop than those that are chemically grown. Let's think about that. 30% more, guys. That is could really be helpful in a year like we just had in... 2019 in New Zealand where the crop was down, you know what? I wasn't down too much on my Pinot vineyard that is organically run, dry farmed. We were not hit nearly close to where all those other vineyards in Martinborough were. Anyway, at some point in considering our existence in this world, most people come to recognize that there is a higher power than ourselves that is responsible for creation, that there is a force of growth, albeit a beneficial one. Nature provides us with examples of this life force every day in the mighty trees of the forest and the scented roses a medicinal herb a nourishing carrot or a blade of grass okay is that a little woo-woo for you guys those atheists out there those agnostics i think if you spend a lot of time in a vineyard and if you spend a lot of time on a farm you kind of know there's something else going on what is that life force why do we strive towards life why do animals plants why do we err towards living why do we evolve these are big questions i know but that's really at the heart of what we're all trying to do and try to understand and i think biodynamic wine growing gets us a little more in touch with that and a little better understanding with that and i don't know i like to live that way i like to think that way anyway it goes on it says this is where we must grasp the nettle that is the title of the book we must grasp the nettle in our attempt to understand biodynamic agriculture and to make a connection between this force of growth and the use of biodynamic preparations. And it goes on and on to talk about uh, preparations. Um, and I, I just encourage you guys to get this book. Uh, th- there's a lot, there's some great bullets at the end of this which says it's all about drinking water, it's purity and it's quality. It's about quality food. It's about a social life on farms all over the world. Co- remember that interview with uh, the guys at, um, the the vineyard in Chile they talked about their workers and how that was the first step they saw some health benefits they saw their health deteriorating of all their employees so they that was the first step in changing the culture it also says it's about affordable sustainable system of agriculture that will allow all farmers to stay on their land for many years it's about farming being the most important activity in the world that sounds good to me doesn't it guys Winemaking, wine growing, farming is the most important thing in the world. It makes organic agriculture work. I think that is a huge point. One thing uh, that got explained to me a while ago, but not a long time ago, only a few years ago. I think I knew this, but when somebody actually said, what is biodynamics? They said, it's a way to achieve organics. And it's that, going back to that term, biodynamic technology, it's a way to achieve organic farming. So, hey man, I'm not saying it's... For everybody but it is it's it's gives you all these tools that helps you achieve organic farming he finishes with in my opinion it will only be biodynamic agriculture and all that emanates from it that can give the world the spiritual hope and confidence for the future that we are all looking for and it says think about it well i think about it all the time and shit this world could definitely you know use some spiritual hope and confidence for the future we need it now and when you heard somebody like Robin O'Brien uh, who's running that hedge fund in America to that's based on soil health, you know, there's more and more people believing that the way we can save this planet is through, through farming and through correct farming. And think about all that carbon storage, all the problems we can solve if we just flip the switch. There's some real scary articles out there. Again, I've just read about farms in the U.S., farms in some other countries, the Amazon is burning. we got to figure this out, guys. I hope this little series helps. We're going to finish with Mermaid Mary, and that'll be a great transition into back into our uh, our next series, which will kind of get back to what we normally do, talking to different wine growers. We already have some great guest books for next season. So cheers, and thanks for listening to this uh, little series I did on organic and biodynamic farming. Take care, guys. Later. Oh, and at vintage at D.B. Vintage Stories on Instagram, check us out.